Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Up next, her death was first ruled an accident. He thought he was going to get away with it. Until the autopsy proves otherwise. Fire, in this case, was used in an attempt to cover a murder. But who wanted this woman dead and why? Greed and money are probably the oldest motives in the world for a murder. But would he get away with it? He thought he was a pretty smart guy. That was the mistakes he made. Just after dusk in November of 2000, firefighters in Augusta, Georgia, were dispatched to a mobile home fire on the south side of town. They're tinderboxes, and you're just talking about a matter of minutes before the entire mobile home is completely engulfed. It took 10 minutes for firefighters to bring the blaze under control. When they did, they found the homeowner, Edith Ann Haynes, dead in the bathroom. She became overwhelmed by the smoke and the heat and was unable to, you know, escape the fire and and died inside. Edith Ann Haynes, known to friends as Ann, was divorced and was on disability from her job at the Kendall Company, makers of surgical dressings. A preliminary investigation indicated the fire started in a spare bedroom used as a storage space. Officially, the cause of the blaze was ruled undetermined, but it was believed to be an electrical fire. It was right at the time weather started getting a little cool and might have been some heat on and that might have started the fire. At the autopsy, the medical examiner expected to find evidence of smoke inhalation. Instead, he found no soot or debris in her trachea, and her hyoid bone in her neck was broken, which usually indicates strangulation. I've never seen a situation where a bone in a person's throat has been crushed by accident unless there's been some um, traumatic car wreck or some other explanation. The medical examiner also found marks on the outer part of her neck. They were consistent with fingernail marks. Whatever happened before she died was very, very violent because there was obvious, there were evidence of uh, blunt force trauma. The autopsy concluded Edith Ann Haynes was dead before the fire started. But who wanted her dead and why? Ironically, until three days earlier, Haynes had lived in a larger house about eight miles away. She was in a financial situation where she needed to sell her house. Steve Culberson, Haynes' nephew and the administrator of her estate, looked through the rubble to find her financial records. I felt that that there had to be more evidence there. We took everything out of the cabinets and just searched for stuff. There was no evidence of where her keys were, her wallet. And he and the investigators found something suspicious. One of those was a signed contract between 
Ann Haynes, and a man by the name of Michael Bryant. Miss Haynes sold her home to Mr. Bryant and already transferred the deed, but for some reason hadn't received the proceeds from the sale. That was a Perry Mason moment. He was going to pay her a sum of $25,000. She was selling her house to pay her bills off and eventually retire. That was the whole purpose behind her selling the house. At first, investigators assumed the fire in Edith Ann Haynes' mobile home was accidental, most likely caused by an electrical problem. But when the medical examiner ruled Miss Haynes' death a homicide, investigators called in Mike Lane, an expert in the field of fire investigations. All I wanted him to be able to do was tell me, was this an arson, was it not an arson, and if it was, how did it start, where did it start? You know, tell me as much about the fire as you can. The first thing he did was to conduct a room-by-room search, trying to determine where the fire started and how it spread. If you have a large area, uh, you can determine uh, heat flow uh, and directionality by cutting this wall stud in two. And when you cut it in two, looking down on the top, you can see that the fire came from this direction and flowed around this point, we have much more degradation right here than we do on this side. Lane then drew a diagram of the floor plan and charted the burn patterns using an arrow to point toward the heat source. Examining this pattern, it indicates the direction of fire flow. Starting at the bottom of this pattern, where we first see charring, and then at the top of this, where we see charring, if we drew a line across there, it gives us a direction uh, from which the fire started. Then he looked for visible signs of an accelerant, like gasoline, which makes a fire burn faster and hotter. When I pulled up the threshold, there was a slight odor, and that's why I cut it out and put it in a container. When I smell fuels that I've smelled for 40 years, I get excited because I believe they're there but I don't allow myself to go to the point where I say it's absolute. Lane put debris from the fire into airtight containers and sent them to the lab. But the larger questions facing investigators were who wanted Edith Ann Haynes dead and why? She didn't have a real big social life. She would occasionally go out with friends, maybe and have a drink or two after work. When it's a murder, it's so off the wall and no real logic behind why it had to happen. Why, you know? The most logical suspect was 31-year-old Michael Bryant, Haynes' co-worker at the Kendall Company. Bryant bought Ann's old home as an investment. So she agreed to sell him this house where she had spent, you know, like 20 years, whatever, her whole adult life. The deal was he would pay the mortgages that was left on it, which wasn't much, and pay her $25,000 cash and help her out a little bit with her new place. When questioned by police, Brian said he gave Miss Haynes a $25,000 check and she signed over the deed to the house. But Investigators found no evidence that Haynes cashed the check, and no trace of it was found in the rubble. Shockingly, 
Bryant was unwilling to issue another $25,000 check to Miss Haynes' estate. We did have to sue him to get the $25,000. He wasn't going to pay that until we come up and did that. Bryant denied having anything to do with the arson and murder, and he had a solid alibi. At the time of the fire, Michael Bryant did have an alibi. He was 20 miles away at a grill with his wife. And they'd actually gone to a movie after that. Bryant and his wife had the movie ticket stubs and restaurant receipts to prove it. His wife verified that that this was true, and there was no reason that she was not being truthful to us. But something bothered investigators. One of Bryant's co-workers called him that night after the movie to tell him about the fire. The call said that there was a fire at Edith's house. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Are you serious? And Michael started crying. What happened? Well, the thing was that the call didn't say anything about Edith being dead, only that there was a fire. And that told investigators they were on the right track. An autopsy revealed that Edith Ann Haynes was beaten and strangled to death before the fire started in her mobile home. To find out whether an accelerant was used to start the fire, samples were collected and sent to the laboratory. There, forensic scientist Laurel Mason took the contents of the airtight containers and prepared them for testing. What I need to do is get the ignitable liquid that was used to accelerate the fire into a gas form. And I do that by heating the sample up. That gas is then collected or absorbed onto the charcoal strip. A gas chromatograph mass spectrometer analyzed the samples and compared them to a database of over 750 known reference samples. It is like a doctor looking at an EKG. I have to be able to visually recognize what it is that I'm looking at. The sample that was removed from the threshold was positive for gasoline. Now, investigators wanted to know who was the last person inside Anne's home on the day of the fire. Interestingly, neighbors saw Michael Bryant's truck at Anne's home around 3 p.m., but the truck was gone by 5 p.m. The fire didn't start until two hours later. Michael Bryant and his wife were in the restaurant where he went, and the movie theater was in Evans, which is a suburb above Augusta, another good 15, 20 minutes to get there. So he was, you know, at least a half hour or more away from her when the fire occurred. Arson investigator Mike Lane knew from experience that there was a way that Bryant could have killed Miss Haynes, started the fire, and still have been at the movie two hours later. Uh, The late ignition device is something that an arsonist uh, will use Uh, so that they can uh, be someplace else when the fire starts. And it may be uh, uh, for minutes, uh, it could be for hours, uh, in all actuality, it could be for days, the more sophisticated it is. As for Brian's alibi, investigators had one question. Who keeps a movie receipt? 
it is inconceivable that someone would keep in their records one movie stub, one restaurant receipt, unless they were keeping it for a specific reason. And his reason was that he wanted to be able to establish an alibi. Scott Peebles checked out Michael Bryant's background and discovered that Bryant had been married before. So he called Bryant's ex-wife. We learned from her that he was fascinated with fire and, and would frequently dabble with pyrotechnics, so to speak. She also told Peebles that the home they owned together mysteriously burned to the ground. Brian's ex-wife said the fire resulted in a substantial insurance settlement, and even she believed her ex-husband started it. Prior to the fire, he had already rented an apartment. Uh, that his ex-wife did not know he had put into his name. Brian's car was also destroyed in that fire. It, too, was insured. Strangely, the car's tires were a special model and valuable. Miraculously, they survived. He removed the tires from his car and placed them far enough away from the house where they wouldn't be destroyed when the house burned down. Although this was certainly suspicious... It wasn't proof that Bryant had anything to do with Anne Haynes' murder. And he had a lot of friends and a lot of support. You know, they just insisted that there's no way he could have done this crime because he'd never been in trouble before. And investigators also discovered Bryant had firefighter training. He was on the fire brigade at the manufacturing plant where he worked. His training from the fire brigade, which would have taught him how to do you know, what, what a delayed ignition device was, how to set fires, how, to, um, how arsonists work, what to look for in an arson. Throughout the investigation, Bryant had willingly answered all questions by police, but when the questioning got more intense, he stopped cooperating. And at some point, he was asked to submit to a polygraph examination, which he originally agreed to do. But prior to the scheduling of that examination, he backed out. So investigators had no evidence linking Bryant to the crime. Got away with it once, he thought he'd get away with it again. With very little evidence against Michael Bryant for the murder of Ann Haynes... Investigators got a warrant to search his home. They seized his computer and analyzed his hard drive. On it was a wealth of information. We were able to see that in the days prior to the scheduled polygraph that he didn't take, he was looking at websites on how to beat a polygraph. And then he didn't take the polygraph. They also searched the storage spaces. When I went into that attic, Things just kind of got eerie from there. And uh, basically what I saw was similar to an altar for what I would certainly think was satanic worship uh, with a pentagram, candles, and burned items. In the garage, investigators found a coil of detonation or fuse wire, the kind used to construct a delayed ignition device. A search of Bryant's financial record showed he was deeply in debt. 
He made between eighty and ninety thousand dollars a year, but he lived like he made twice that much. This was someone who was kiting checks between different financial institutions to get by. He may have had this two hundred thousand dollar home, but he was living well outside of his means, and he was in over his head. And with this evidence, Michael Bryant was arrested and charged with arson and murder. Greed and money are probably the, the oldest motives in the world for a murder. Michael Bryant worked with Miss Haynes, and when she bought the mobile home and put her old house up for sale, Bryant offered to buy it as a rental property. Bryant paid off the loans on the house and had Ann sign over the deed. Then he gave Haynes a check for twenty-five thousand dollars, the balance of the purchase price. So he had written a check to Ann Haynes for twenty-five thousand dollars, asking her. To hold the check, not cash it, until he could put the funds in the account.、Um, this kept getting delayed、uh, continually by him. And on the day of the fire, she indicated that she was going to cash that check, whether he wanted to or not. She may have realized that Bryant had no intention of paying her, since she had already signed the deed and didn't yet have the twenty-five thousand dollars he owed her. Prosecutors believe Bryant went to Haynes' mobile home on the day of the murder to ask her again to delay cashing his check for the twenty-five thousand dollars. No one knows what took place, but the evidence shows Bryant struck her on the back of the head, strangled her to death, then dragged her body into the bathroom. He took the incriminating evidence, his twenty-five thousand dollar check. The evidence shows he poured gasoline on Haynes' body, down the hallway, into the living room, and to the front door. But he couldn't set the house on fire in broad daylight with his truck outside. He needed time to establish an alibi. He used. Fuse wire and other household items to construct some type of delayed ignition device. Then he left the scene. The evidence shows that Brian picked up his wife, and they drove to a restaurant twenty miles away for dinner. They left at six forty-one, then went to a seven o'clock movie. Around seven thirty. The device Bryant set in Anne Haynes' home started the fire, while he and his wife were in the movie theater, surrounded by witnesses. Despite his well-laid plans, Michael made one huge mistake. While walking out of the theater, his friend called to tell him that the Haynes mobile home was destroyed in a fire. Michael reacted. Inappropriately, given the fact the caller said nothing about Anne having been involved in the fire, let alone killed. The fire didn't eliminate everything, as in most arsons, it actually created more evidence than it destroyed. Essentially, she's killed over twenty-five thousand dollars. In October of two thousand two. Michael Bryant went on trial for malice, murder, arson, and burglary. 
In this case, it was premeditated. It was planned. It was schemed. He took the day off work, and he planned this murder. It started out to be just a little small transaction deal of a, a person selling a house, not going through a real estate agent, you know, friends at work. It still blows my mind every time I think about it. Michael Bryant was convicted and sentenced to life in prison plus 40 years. This was one of the most interesting cases that I ever worked on. When I heard the verdict, I was speechless. Reached over and hugged my wife and just shed a few tears. There wasn't nothing to say, but thank God. Thank God they got him. Without forensics, we would have not convicted Michael Bryant. This is a man who did believe he was smarter than everybody else, and, and he thought he could manipulate Ann Haynes. He thought he could manipulate investigators, um, and he believed that he was getting away with it. 